can they do it? Is there a reasonable world where they can do it? Who am I talking about? Dante Moore. Can they do it? Let's see. You are locked on UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everybody, it's Zach Anderson, the Oxheimer. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Locked On UCLA. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. They've got you covered with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts, where it starts. And thanks for making it your first listen each and every day. It's free where we get your podcast. And just thanks for like, commenting, and subscribing on YouTube and wherever you listen to the podcast. Do the Bruins have a last ditch shot? at turning arguably the best recruit in the country for the class of 23, Dante Moore, flipping his commitment from Oregon. Well, after we went over the quarterback possibilities for UCLA, didn't even think Chip Kelly would think, no, let's not hit the portal. Let's hit the high school realm before signing day. And all of a sudden, there's the report coming out. Dante Moore taking a visit over to UCLA. And is there any way or the Bruins could potentially flip Dante Moore. Well, let's see what this kid's got. Dante Moore is a five-star recruit, arguably the top recruit, if not just let alone quarterback in the country, in the class of 23. He's from Detroit, Michigan. He's already committed to Oregon, been committed since July. Well, what's changed? One, Oregon's changed their offensive coordinator. Kenny Dillingham took the head coaching job over at ASU. So for Oregon... They lost their head OC, and now they got a new one. Yes, Will Stein, but the question is, is that what's going to change things for Oregon? Did UCLA all of a sudden think, hey, maybe we don't have as good of a grasp on the transfer portal in the quarterback market as they thought? Or did they say, hey, we can go and steal Dante Moore and make that happen late in the game? Again, you have to think, maybe there's a crazy world where Arizona State makes a late push for Dante Moore. Think about it. His or his offensive coordinator that would have been at Oregon, who have played a good report of recruiting him to Oregon, is now the head coach at ASU. A couple of in-state schools, Michigan State, Michigan, from his native hometown, home state of Michigan, from Detroit. They're throwing the bag at him. Whatever that means, you know what that means. It's NIL time. Officially or unofficially, the bag is being thrown at Dante Moore. And now it's UCLA who says, hey, let's try and figure it out. What does that mean, right? What does this mean? Does that mean UCLA does not have a good grip potentially on battling for DJ Uyangale and thinking he can come over as the transfer portal? I know I listed those guys who UCLA could go after the portal. Is that not who they're looking at? Or did Chip Kelly say, you know what? We got to change our mindset. And if we're going to be big players in the Big Ten, we've got to be able to maybe flip commitments and see what happens. Well, for UCLA, if they recruit like it's a high school kid, then it's over and done. UCLA's not getting Dante Moore. This is just a fun story for two seconds. If they're recruiting Dante Moore like they're trying to flip somebody in the transfer portal, then, oh my goodness, we might have a game. It just depends what mindset it is, right? The way UCLA recruits in the portal is seemingly completely different than how they go after high school kids, despite a couple of commitments later on here, right before the early signing period for college football, for high school kids. Well, UCLA, they did entertain one guy they're trying to 
excuse me, trying to flip, which was Hunter Clegg. He was a recruit from Stanford. That was earlier in the day, just before the news that Dante Moore was thinking about a visit to UCLA. And then Hunter Clegg, what does he do? He flips his commitment. It's just not to UCLA. He went to Utah instead. So is there a reasonable world where a guy who's been committed since the likes of July where they could flip him? Well, UCLA had Grant Bunky, a three-star D lineman who had been committed to USC in, back, I believe, in June and eventually found himself over to UCLA. So it has already happened in this recruiting class for the class of 23. If you remember, UCLA already lost what would have been their top recruit, Roderick Robinson, Robinson the second, who was a San Diego kid from, I believe, modern-day Catholic, and was, you know, a big part of, actually, I believe it's Lincoln High School, but whatever it is, he's from San Diego, Roger Robinson flipping to Georgia. So can UCLA all of a sudden take the top recruit from, or what the top recruit in the country, and steal him late? My gut feeling, I'm not so confident in it, considering UCLA's past and recent history under Chip Kelly, getting those high school kids and bringing them over. Would that be outstanding? Would I love to be surprised? Absolutely. But what's more realistic? Can you get the top transfer portal guy in the quarterback market in DJ? Can you even get another one-year stopgap option? Are their internal options better? I mean, they have a Justin Martin who has four years of eligibility, which would be be competing side-by-side with Dante Moore. You still have Ethan Garbers, two years of eligibility, and then there's Dante Moore to go with it. The Oregon question you have to ask They still have the question whether Bo Nix, who does have an extra year of eligibility, is he coming back one year? Is that what will flip Dante Moore one way or the other? He's still got his own home state recruiting him hard. The guy who recruited him to Oregon pretty heavily from what what I've seen in Dillingham, he's now the head coach somewhere else. Could he flip him and get him to another Pac-12 school? These are all questions that have to be asked and answered by the time this recruiting visit ends to UCLA. And it's always I've always found it interesting, right? You commit, and then you still take visits throughout the rest. And yes, you always like to keep seeing your options, but it's funny when you've chosen, I guess, an option. You know, imagine like this in the dating game, right? You, you, you have your date, you have your girlfriend, your boyfriend, wherever you, you land, and you sit there and you're like, all right, this is my significant other. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm still going to play the field. That, that's kind of how this recruiting has gone in these in this day and age when it comes to Commits, hard commits, soft commits, NALs, transfer portals, re-recruiting the players, the term you've been hearing, re-recruiting players you already have in your program just to make sure they don't leave if you like them to continue playing and contributing to your program. It's just funny how this day and age, it's recruiting can be, yeah, I've been committed, oh, a coach leaves, which can very well be an important part of why you chose to go there. But still, it's just funny how, oh, is this the reason he's going to go or this is the reason he's not going to go? It would be a great get for UCLA. But in the end, there's two things you have to ask. Besides, can can UCLA get him? I'm not so sure. And maybe a, a more important question for the Bruins, why this late are they starting to push for him before the early signing day when there's plenty of quarterbacks in the portal out there and you already have a Justin Martin? Does that not say Justin Martin is qualified enough to compete? for the starting role in 2023 and beyond? Do you not like Garbers? Or maybe you have Garbers play for a year and you have this guy sit for a year. Whatever it is, if you can even pull off something, does that mean Chip Kelly and the UCLA is not even confident in what they have and what they're trying to get 
beyond in 2023 heading to the portal. Those are all different things between a five-star quarterback. Yes, a five-star get from Detroit. That would be just spectacular. And then the DJ sweepstakes for UCLA would be over. You either get the home run hit in somehow flipping this quarterback from Oregon to commit to UCLA. I'm not so sure that is likely, especially if he flips to UCLA. You know, things could change with a visit and an offer and the Bruins throwing the, you know, everything at him in a positive sense there with the NIL and showing the glitz and the glamour of the Westwood area, Hollywood, all that stuff, playing the Pac-12 and then the Big Ten, barring UC region's craziness. Could this happen? In my perspective, I'm not really thinking it could. Could he flip? I'm not entirely sure. And the other thing is, what does this mean going forward for UCLA quarterback recruitment? Was this just a little, ah, let's, you know, let's just kind of kick a rock over there and see what happens. Oh, all right. Well, you know, what's happening and what will happen by the end of the weekend? We'll figure it out if UCLA has a true shot or if this was just a ah, random blind dart throw, throwing it to the wall and seeing if you can hit a bullseye. Who knows? Those are just things to keep in mind. But what UCLA has already been figuring out beyond just this last-minute quarterback craziness and even looking to flip Hunter Clegg as he was initially pledged to Stanford, eventually committing to Utah, on the same day of the rumors swirling about Dante Moore. So the Bruins are going after guys and looking to flip these guys pretty hard. Who are guys the Bruins already have defensively that could make a difference for UCLA in 2023 in the portal and in the recruiting game? already. Well, let's just tell you more about Bet Online. Am I a betting man that the Bruins are going to turn over and flip the likes of Dante Moore? Not entirely sure, but just know that Bet Online is your number one source for sports betting information, stats, news, and analysis. And depending on what you look at, maybe UCLA could be even number one odds on favorite to potentially land a transfer portal QB and DJ Uyangalale. Is that the right option? Where is this all going to happen? I'm not sure, but you can get your latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football, basketball, soccer, esports, everything with Bet Online. They've got podcasts that can dive into your betting fixes, and they've got the fastest and easiest way to look into those as well. Head to the website today for Bet Online or use your mobile device, type in Bet Online, and learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts, where it starts. In the meantime, As we continue to dive into UCLA recruiting and the big, interesting, swirling news about, oh, Dante Moore, boom, breaking. He's going to start looking at UCLA as maybe a last-ditch pitch for UCLA to Moore. Is this realistic? Who knows? But what they already have, and which has already been reported, and it's already been confirmed, you have Oluwafemi Oladejo, the Cal linebacker transfer, who, if you remember, had 17 tackles against UCLA in his regular season finale. And then what happened? A lot of Cal kids hit the portal, just like a lot of Stanford kids or commits as well. The Bay Area taking a big hit in the football realm. UCLA goes after Oladejo, who comes through as a sophomore and will have at least two years of eligibility coming to the Bruins. And that was a pretty decent get for a linebacker in just his second year in D1 college football to flip him, a a Northern California kid from Elk Grove, and then flip him down to SoCal. Oladejo this year, 91 total tackles, 44 solo. He had about four and a half tackles for loss and one sack overall with an interception, two QB hurries, and a forced fumble with a fumble recovery. Last few games, four out of the last five for Oladejo, UCLA, 
saw this guy get 17 tackles against him. For the last five games, Oladegio was all over the field for Cal. He had double-digit tackles in four of those last five games, including registering at least half of a tackle for loss or sack down the rest, down the stretch. So he got really hot down the end of the season in 2022 for the Golden Bears. That's a pretty decent pickup for UCLA, who was a three-star product coming out of high school in 2018. So way back when, you go back and it's like, all right, he's got two years left of eligibility, which could be a nice get for a UCLA defense that is either building, keeping the Murphy Twins, keeping Leatu Latu, getting guys and keeping them on this defense. And still all the questions remain about Bill McGovern as the Bruins showed some promise before he's been mysteriously dis MIA for a long time, other than the report of an illness. That's what they've said. And nothing has been added on to that officially publicly since then. But the Bruins are adding defensive guys. One in Oladejo from Cal, the transfer, which has already been reported. A little bit of older news, but that is a good get for the Bruins who comes through and can really maybe fill some holes up the middle in UCLA for the front seven and just get a lot of tackles and build UCLA's depth defensively, which they need. A lot of the things UCLA will need to fix maybe in the portal or through the years is the secondary. But in the end, if you can build your front seven, get some pressure, stop the run, continue to do that, then UCLA would love to continue to get guys like Oladejo, who they got in the portal. In the end, I've already slightly mentioned this. You have Grant Bunky, a 6'5", 265-pound, three-star recruit, initially pledged to USC early in the summer. Things went wrong there. Don't exactly have the full scoop, but all it is is that he, depending on what terms you want to use, maybe not a full flip is what I've seen, but he has flipped and turned into a UCLA Bruin. We'll forget the fact he was committed to USC, but he is a UCLA Bruin and Grant Bucky, who I just believe had a home visit from one of the UCLA coaches. And as recently as early December, just made the decision to become a Bruin, a three-star from Liberty High School in Bakersfield, and will become a Bruin and come to Westwood and be playing in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, Pac-12, Big Ten, moving it on as Bucky. That's a big body on the defensive line, 6'5", 265. That's a lot of possibility for him to fill out and be one of those hidden gem, maybe not diamond in the rough, but hidden gem guys that Chip Kelly could find and build into a maybe someone who could replace it, Leatu Latu, or someone on the line, or someone who's a good edge rusher. That is something UCLA could find. And speaking of other players who are, you know, maybe good edge rushers or guys who are solid defensively, Anthony Goodlow got a recent offer from UCLA, a guy from Tulsa, second team American, not didn't want to say All-American because he's not All-American, but he made the All-Second team for the American Conference as a member of Tulsa squad, 6'4", 286. If UCLA could get him, he'd be a one-year stopgap and be a senior for a guy who had 44 tackles, eight tackles for loss, and two sacks. Overall, has 12 sacks in his career and nearly 20 tackles for loss in Anthony Goodlow. So the Bruins are engaging, whether it be finding big bodies in the 6'5", Bucky, and finding, saying, hey, this is a guy UCLA would love to have and add him to their team. And then you have a guy like Goodlow, who's already proven it at the D1 level, a guy that the Bruins would love to have and build that depth, whether it be on the line, on the interior D-line, whether it be on the edge, see how he fits in UCLA's defensive schematics. A little bit different than Tulsa, yes, but moving forward, how will he fit? We'll figure that out if he even 
finds ways to decide to come to UCLA. So one, Oladejo, already a Bruin, has already committed through the portal. That's a good get. Bucky, technically flipping from USC. That's a big body. Could be some promise for UCLA down the road if he's not already a, a bona fide product in 23. We'll find that out. But a big body, some potential there. And then Goodlow, who's already proven at Tulsa with one year of eligibility left, tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, can get in the backfield and make things happen and force some havoc in the backfield and making turnovers and putting teams behind the chains, which can maybe help out your secondary. Either way, Goodlow is a guy that they have offered. He is not committed, at least as of this episode. And that could be a good get for UCLA to continue to build the depth. A lot of the things I've talked about recently, including the beginning of this episode, is the quarterback. Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Uh, it is a lot of fun. And with Dorian Thompson Robinson leaving, that makes a big pots pretty much whole for UCLA for someone who holds so many records for the Bruins now in DTR leaving. I know with the extra year, it was helped out. But still, with Dorian Thompson Robinson, that needs a hole with quarterback. But again, as everybody could have looked at this Bruins team in 2022, the biggest hole when it came down to largely the biggest games in their losses to Oregon and USC in 2022 came down to the defense. 45 to Oregon, 48 points, unfortunately, to USC. And that's what needs to be shored up. Could still got to play another year against Caleb Williams next year in the Coliseum. Whether Bo Nix comes back or if Dante Moore stays with Oregon, those are the two guys, either one of the best recruits in the country or a guy that's proven it and was potentially playing for Heisman. And I know UCLA pretty much doesn't play Oregon next year, but still, those are the guys you're looking to beat and contend with in 2023 for a Pac-12 title with other teams only getting better and hiring coaches. Of course, what? Colorado hires Deion Sanders. Maybe not the one-year transition, but other teams are making moves, and the Bruins maybe don't need to be as exciting defensively, but they need to get depth and good players on the defense. And whether that means they need a new D coordinator with McGovern out, or we just have to figure out how he is health-wise, they just do need a lot more players up and down the roster that can help for UCLA. And so far, none of these have come through the secondary. But so if you build the front seven, eventually get to the secondary, maybe, maybe once and for all, UCLA could have a, not just an above average defense, but a good defense in more than just games against mediocre offenses. And I know in this day and age, college football offense reigns supreme. You'll see points, balls moved, first downs and yada, yada, yada. But here the Bruins are making moves defensively, almost got that edge rusher in Hunter Clegg to flip him from Stanford. In the end, the Utah kid goes to Utah, becoming one of their many commits in 23, and the Bruins have to continue to look elsewhere. I'm just scrubbing my hands clean here. That's all we're doing. UCLA defense building things, offering good low from Tulsa, and getting Oladejo from Cal, who had 17 tackles against the Bruins in the regular season finale and eventual Bruin win, and then Grant Bucky already already been officially confirmed, but committing to the Bruins on the first day of December. Either way, that's what UCLA is looking at right now when it comes to transfers, transfer portals, or the class of 23 recruiting. As we wrap up Locked on UCLA today, I thought, all right, there's no other way than figuring out what's UCLA basketball looking like as we transition into this third and final segment for Locked on UCLA. Excuse me. And who they play next? Well, Mick Cronin's bunch, as we flip back to the hardwood, UCLA 7-2. They're 2-0 in Pac-12 play, undefeated 
in the Pac-12 Conference after their two wins. This is final week, finals week for most, especially in the quarter system. Semesters, sometimes you have those weird wraparounds. The Bruins come in 7-2 and two and take on the 8-2 and two Denver Pioneers, who the Bruins have pretty much dominated the all-time series 11-1, haven't lost the Pioneers in nearly 62 years when the last time they lost to Denver out of the Pioneer, out of the, you know, for the Denver Pioneers, a team who has been pretty good, competitive, and now as they move forward and look to compete this year, Denver's saying, all right, we have a chance to compete in the Summit League. Again, that's the same league that has Oral Roberts, South Dakota State, North Dakota State. Those are some good pro- ball clubs that they're trying to compete with, and they've started 8-2. and two. And what does Denver have that UCLA needs to be afraid of? Well, they have Jeff Wolbrun, a second-year head coach, and his team is one of the better scoring teams in the country. They average just a shade below 80 points per game. And of all the teams in the country, this is what UCLA can help prepare themselves for when it comes to Pac-12 play. Denver has the second-best team-wide field goal percentage. Yes, overall, Denver averages just under 80 points per game. And for their field goal percentage, they shoot 52.5% from the floor for the Pioneers, who are 8-2. and two just coming off a heartbreaking overtime loss to Sac State on the road. So you could say, well, if you go by transitive properties and go here and there, UCLA beat down Sac State in the opening night. Denver has lost only twice in the same season at home and on the road to Sac State. Should be easy sledding, but still, this is a team that's number two in the country at the Division One level when it comes to field goal percentage. And they average almost 80 points per game. If you look at UCLA's side with Vic Cronin's bunch, well, they're top 13 in the country, as he's always said in his media availability, how good his team has been at shooting at a high clip, 50%. He said is one of his 20 teams he's had his head coaching career over the last two decades has had that clip. And while the Bruins are shooting it pretty well, this is one of the rare teams they play that shoots it even better, although the Bruins shoot and score a little bit more in terms of 80 points per game so far. Well, what does Denver have? Well, they've got a guy who's been balling out the last few games. His name is Tommy Bruner, averaging about 21.5 points per game the last four games, leads his team in close to the top of the conference when it comes to assists, about four to five a game, and he's been putting the rest of his opponents on lock. They are missing their second-leading scorer in Tevin Smith, who was their leading scorer before I've looked around. It looks like an undisclosed injury. Couldn't really figure it out. A 6'5 guard who was a good scorer, so they are without a key piece that maybe, could maybe, I'm not entirely sure what the deal was with him. I haven't found anything just yet, but Tevin Smith was a key piece, an absolute key piece for Denver because he was averaging about 15 points per game before he has missed the last four games in a row. The first six games, putting up 26, 23 points, and 23 points and had double figures in about four of the six games he played, and Bruner wasn't doing that same thing. But since Smith has been out, it's been Bruner, 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 who has scored 20 points in every game but one in the last four, and even that against New Orleans, he has 19. So what does this mean for UCLA? A large portion of this means defense, and I did connect that this game could help them when it comes to playing the Pac-12. Well, why would you say that? Why would you say someone from the Summit League that's 8-2 and two, with two losses to a team that UCLA has already beat down on opening night in Sac State 
How would that help them? Well, the only team that shoots better as a team from the field than Denver happens to be UCLA and their top competition in the Pac-12. That is Arizona. Arizona has the best shooting percentage from the field in the country so far. And yes, they did lose, shockingly, to Utah in pretty dominant fashion by the Utes, about 15, 17 points. They won on Pac-12 Conference basketball opening night on the men's side. So this is a good chance for UCLA to stop a Denver team that loves to get their 30, 40, 50 points per game in the paint like Oregon does. They had one of the better shooters in the paint, Nafali Dante. The Bruins kept him in check. So while it is a little bit more guard-oriented with Denver, can UCLA continue to hold Denver out of the paint, force them to shoot? And one of McCronin's staples for this team has been how well the Bruins can play defense and figure out which unit, whether it be the starting unit, the second unit, can they mix and match when it comes to starting units offense, second units defense, and mixing how can the two gel and not ride too hard on Tiger Campbell. In the most recent media availability for Mick Cronin, he's talking about, hey, one, other than just the final four comments and who needs to have their number retired, that can be a whole podcast on those thoughts by itself, but continuing to talk about how you don't want to play fatigued players at the end of the game. How can UCLA lengthen their lineup and rotation within games that the Bruins have had to rely on their starting five? As he's mentioned, when you play fatigued players, they turn it over, which is why we've seen UCLA, in his mind, falter against Illinois in that second half. Almost blow it a little bit against the likes of Stanford in opening night in the Pac-12 when the Bruins were cruising in the first half and then all of a sudden, let the Cardinal go from down big, 23, I believe, in the first half, to within eight and just about four minutes to play before UCLA put it away against the Cardinal, 80-66. to 66. In the end, UCLA wants to, ideally, you would love to see someone between Dylan Andrews, between Abramo Zonka, hopefully the likes of Will McClendon, who finally saw some time, but still has to really build himself from not playing as Mick Cronin said basketball for almost two seasons with his injury and his COVID-canceled senior season. And then Matt Gettien, who is also dealing with that return from ACL injury. Can UCLA lengthen their lineup from an Adem Bona, who is dealing with a lot of freshman troubles in terms of foul trouble and hasn't exactly been the scoring option in the post, at least so far, that UCLA has seen? And can they get some extra guard help? Can Dylan Andrews or will it be Abramo Zonka Help out the likes of Jaime Hawkins Jr. in his scoring, Tiger Campbell, more the guard-oriented play, and then what Amari Bailey's done has really picked things up since Mick Cronin has called out the Bruins after that two-loss weekend in Vegas. The Bruins have been playing a lot better and have been sharp, although it went down to the wire against the likes of Oregon. It went down to the wire, and not exactly to the wire, but a lot closer late than it should have been against Stanford out in Palo Alto. Different things for the Bruins. One, can the defense hold Denver out of the paint and force them to take tough shots and shoot pretty tough? Again, this is a team that shoots over 52% from the floor. What did happen in their two losses? A game where they lost 87-85 to, to Denver. Well, overall, what did Denver do? They still shot 50% for the game, albeit largely helped out due to the likes of a better overtime shooting percentage. But still, Denver's a tough team to stop. Can the Bruins use their size and not get in a back-and-forth high-scoring game where they keep Denver in it late? 
Bruins should have this one under control, one would think, heading into it. But if you let both teams score at will, especially the Pioneers getting down low, letting Bruner go crazy after it and getting easy buckets and feeding his teammates, then maybe UCLA could be in for a high-scoring barn burner in the worst case. That is the worst case scenario. If this game is 44-44 at half, something like that, 44-42, however you want, and then it's 70-70, and there's still 10, 8 minutes to play, that's maybe not what UCLA wants this game to be. You'd rather, if you're a Bruins fan, see this one be more like 30 to 20 in the first half, a low-scoring game, which means the Bruins are clamping down defensively and then building themselves into a strong offensive push, potentially, in the second half. You don't want to get in a high-scoring bout with Denver. Not that the Bruins couldn't win that one easily, but you'd rather see UCLA's defense shine in a matchup, maybe not exactly ideally mano y mano, but similar ideas of how well Denver shoots just compared to what Arizona has done statistically this season. Well, we won't we'll see what happens with the Bruins on that Saturday in the middle of the day against Denver. Hopefully nothing too crazy other than maybe some recruiting news for UCLA football until then. In the meantime, we will react to that a little bit after that UCLA hopeful win against Denver, take down the Pios and bring home their eighth win of this season before building into a ranked matchup, I believe, against Maryland in the next week and a half. That's going to do it for Locked On UCLA. Go make Locked On Sports today your second listen. Like, comment, subscribe here on YouTube or wherever you're listening or watching to Locked On UCLA. Thanks for your support. Zach Anderson, Jockheimer says, all right, let's get those hands up. It clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You see, LA, UCLA, fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.